1: Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Volato. My voice, it's on the way out. Hoping to get through this podcast uh, before it goes out. There was a lot of screaming for me in the stands tonight in my first game since 2019. We 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 went back, me and my brother, and we figured out I was at a Monday night game against the Cowboys. The black remember the black cat game, Nick, in 2019, where the black cat ran on the field. And I think, no, it was against the Bengals. Odell Beckham had that really nice touchdown where he ran that like inside out spin route in the red zone. That was the last game that was, I was at. That was not 2019. Okay. That might've been 2016. No, it was 2016. Yeah, that was the last time I was at a game. Definitely not 2019. I was certainly not. In... So I hadn't been to a game since 2016. It was good to be back. It was good to be loud. I had one freak out when um, the offensive pass interference was called. I, I warned people this week. Look, if I get a bad call, and it takes points off the board. I'm liable to go crazy. I felt really shitty about it afterwards, Nick. I thought I was past <laughs> that point in my life. I really did. My brother made me feel better about it because he's like, at least you're recognizing it now, and you're hoping to – like, you're recognizing your error in ways. Like, look, I looked around after that. I freaked out. I was like, you're taking points off the board. I'm screaming, screaming, all these things, and everybody is well aware of. We also had some obnoxious Cowboys fans in our section. Really, to, the, to our left – we're in 335. To our left, in 334. Just taken over by Cowboys fans. It was a slew of fans. The only thing I liked about it was they were idiotically going, let's go Cowboys when the Cowboys are on offense, making noise while their team was on offense. It's just idiotic and great for the Giants in general or anytime. but it wasn't great. Um, yeah. I mean, look, my brother's going home disappointed as, as hell. And I understand why we really wanted to win here. This was a game. The Giants could have definitely won, in my opinion. I'm sure you agree with Nick. I mean, look, Graham Gunnell blocked field goal. The offensive pass interference, it took another three points off the board. Um, I'm remembering one other play where the Cowboys got three that I can't remember now that seemed a little fugazi. Even though it's the fourth and four, they stopped. They they make it by inches. Like, the games had gone our way the first two weeks. We weren't going to go 16 and 17 and 0. We knew that, but it's a little tough, especially for me, Nick, because at 13-6, when the Giants scored that touchdown with Saquon Barkley, the stadium erupted. We were rocking, and it really felt like that was the momentum swing. Cowboys go right down the field, score a touchdown. Then they get the ball back, go right down the field, score a touchdown. So, I don't know. It's It was a tough loss, uh, obviously. Justin Panic, shout-out to him for having me at the Talking Giants tailgate beforehand. I had a good time, except for the fact that he put on social media that I wasn't wearing white. Look, I ordered a specific $44 White Giants t-shirt on Amazon. It was due to come by Monday. I check. I'm waiting here at my house waiting to go to the game, lost a half hour. It doesn't show up, Nick. And I'm sitting there like, well, now I'm going to be late for the game. I don't own anything white right now in my house, my parents' house. I have some old jerseys, Nick, but nothing here. So I'm like, you know what? Obviously, someone at the stadium is going to be walking around selling white shirts. It's a great idea. It's easy. I'll give them all the money. I don't care what they what they quote me. I'll pay them. Get there. No one's selling white shirts. Someone's on white bucket hats. It wasn't worth it. I wanted the white shirt. So... Look, if you want to pin the loss on me, I'll take it. I understand. I didn't show up in the white, and so that—that's where we're peak, at. Peak, peak, Larry David, right there. Dan Schneier. Yeah, I know that's what people are saying. Good, whoever tweeted it out, that was correct. I do have some Larry Davidisms. Look, it's life. It is what it is. I tried. I tried to get the freaking white shirt for this game.
2: Yeah, but credit to to Dallas for stabilizing on the road with a backup quarterback. Coming down the field and scoring a touchdown after that Saquon Barkley drive. Like Cooper Rush played excellently in the second half, which is not mm-hmm. something you typically expect against a Wink Martindale defense. I feel like this defense really missed Leonard Williams. I feel like they also missed Jihad Ward on the edge. They couldn't mm-hmm. contain an edge. And I want to wait to get to the All-22 to see exactly what was happening with Thibodeau and with Ojolari in those situations. I saw that they were running weak sides. Sometimes they were stretching the defense laterally, something the Giants defense did really well in weeks one and two. But Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott, that one, two punch just got the best of the New York Giants. And you brought up the sequence of plays, the Giants to start the first or second half, they get a field goal after a 10 play drive. And then the defense stepped up huge at a tie game, six to six. They force a three and out against Cooper Rush and that set up. The touchdown run by Saquon Barkley that led to that huge eruption that you were alluding to. But then the defense floundered after that, surrendered a nine-play, 75-yard drive, and the Giants offense couldn't really do anything on their next play. Next drive, another touchdown drive by Dallas. That was the backbreaker right there. And the fact that Dallas was able to do that on the road, the Cooper rush, is impressive, man. It's it's impressive. Sometimes you got to tip your hat to them. And the fact that the Giants offensive line couldn't block anybody up front, that's another thing that really sucks for the New York Giants.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to watch from that view up in section 335 cuz it really is different than even the All 22 view. I, I remember talking to Justin before the game. He's like, "Yeah, I love my seats up there." He's in like 319 or something like that, one of those. "I love my seats." Everybody craps on me for those seats. Nick like, like, "Oh, you couldn't pay for anything better. I actually like that view, to be honest, and it's even better than what we get on the All 22. It's an even better view. I get to see even more of the play." And so a few things I'll point out from 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 there. One, I mean, I don't know what it is, Nick. I guess it's just coaching. But neither of these teams paid any respect to the other team's passing game. From the very first snap, Dallas was in one high. And the depth at which they played that safety was so disrespectful to the Giants passing game. Teams are just paying no respect right now. And this is not a Daniel Jones take. This is because the Giants don't have receivers to, to, to make plays down the field or create separation on the field as well as Daniel Jones and the offense and Brian Dable and Kafka do not take any vertical shots. So, why would teams stop playing the Giants like this? There was It was wild to watch the depth of which they played that one safety at. There was just no respect at all for a deep post here or there, or I don't know, anything breaking towards the end zone. And the Giants didn't take any shots on field. Now, vice versa, on the other side of the ball, Nick, the Giants didn't really pay much respect for the Dallas deep passing game. And yet, even so, with all of that said, two things were true, both very similar strategies, in my opinion, defensively. And yet, somehow, some way, the Cowboys were able to generate an insane running game here, right? Like, let's take a look at these numbers from the Dallas run game. I think we're going to look at it right now, and it's going to be ugly, and I'm trying to get these numbers up. 178 yards rushing. Now, keep that in mind versus the Giants team that ran the ball decently because of St. Juan Barkley's long run and because of Daniel Jones. But having said that, how can the Giants run defense not stop the Dallas run game in a game like this with a scheme with a scheme like that, where they're only really playing one high and everybody's close to line scrimmage? Well, here's how: one, as you alluded to earlier, taking Jihad Ward off the edge hurt the Giants. Two, no Leonard Williams hurt the Giants. But these are players, and taking them away from the game that shouldn't really lead to an explosion in the run game, unless, of course, one, you have Austin Calitro and and Dave Crowder back there at linebacker, like. Look, these guys can't be playing for the Giants long-term. I don't even want them out here short-term. Tate Crowder looked terrible out there from my point of view. And without those two big guys in the middle, Nick, making his life a lot easier, Tate Crowder is a disaster there. And like you said, laterally. How did the Giants get beat in the run game? Laterally. What has been the problem for this Giants' run defense for the last – However, I don't even know how many years we've been doing that. Ever since we did the All-22, they've been beat laterally in the run game because they don't have linebackers who make plays laterally in the run game, in my opinion, at least. And then you factor in the final thing here, Nick, which is Aziz Ojolari and Avon Thibodeau. We'll see on the tape if they set the edge okay. That might be the case. But as far as tackles for lost man and making plays in the backfield, they didn't make any of those in this game. And so I have that that I'm thinking of, and I'm also thinking of just Every single play, when Daniel Jones dropped back, it felt like he was getting pressure. I think the total count was 22, the most in any game by for any quarterback this season. And that's against an offensive line that we thought was going to be better this year, which clearly we're now learning is just nowhere near where it needs to be, Nick. But then on the flip side, how the freaking hell are you not getting any pressure on Tyler Smith? How is Tyler Smith outplaying Evan Neal that much? And how is Jason Peters at 40 years old making zero mistakes at the left guard position Terrence Steele don't think is that good of a right tackle like it's it was crazy to me to see the contrast between pressure Dallas Cowboys were able to get on Daniel Jones with sometimes four-man rushes versus just the absolute inept lack of pressure they put on Cooper Cush they didn't we talked about look make this a tough game for Cooper Rush right move him off his spot dictate to Rush the Giants did not dictate anything to Rush in this game The Rush dictated to the Giants And I have to give him credit. Cooper Rush looked freaking good out there, which is the craziest, weirdest thing. Like the ball he threw to Lamb, everyone's like, oh, my God, it was such an amazing catch. That was a freaking good red zone throw. And he made some really good throws in this game and just overall did not look like he was overwhelmed in the moment because we weren't able to generate any pressure at all on this guy. It's just it's wild to me, man. Zero sacks for the Giants in this game.
2: Even when they brought five, it seemed like it was picked up well, whether it be Ezekiel Elliott or one of those rookie tight ends who were in there as the sixth man in protection. And speaking of six men in protection, Mike Kafka, I felt like called a pretty solid game, but he was severely hampered basically after the first quarter because he realized, I can't trust Evan Neal out here. I need to help the interior offensive line. The Giants were leaving six, Dan, sometimes seven guys in protection to block four, to block freaking four. And what does that do? That means you have David Sills, Richie James and Daniel Bellinger running routes downfield and the few times you put Kenny Galladay in in high leverage situations this dude drops the football after complaining about not getting snaps that is egregious by Kenny Galladay. And I understand why people are just full shame, shame to this dude right now. After those two drops And Sterling Shepard had a drop. I feel like Daniel Jones played one of his best games and some of the balls, they weren't placed perfectly or the one third down where he could have led Sterling Shepard a little bit on the drag route comes to mind. I think there was another one that was a little bit off target, but all things considered as much as Daniel Jones got hit. You got to look at this game and be like, this loss is not on DJ whatsoever. This guy needs help along the offensive line. This guy needs help at receiver, and he's just not getting it at the moment.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to talk. We'll get to Daniel Jones. There's a lot to talk about. Not only do I think this loss wasn't on Daniel Jones, I think this was the first moment I've seen, at least from this season, where he put together those flashes again that make me be like, Is it possible this guy can be a because look, we saw that against the Saints last year. To me, this was by far his best game since that Saints game from what was that week four last year? So it's been a while. It was week four. four. And to me, this was by far his best game since week four, despite the fact that he what only threw for a buck eighty and didn't throw any passes downfield. That to me is not on hit. Like like you said, best, Nick, they have to do so much here just to account for Evan, where Evan Neal is at right now. And it feels so cra- crazy to me, Nick, that we're like going through this all over again with Evan Neal versus like Andrew Thomas's rookie season where it took him eight games to not. Like he was a legit and we love Andrew Thomas now. He's by far the best ass on the roster, but he was a legit liability in those first eight games as a rookie. Anyone who tells you otherwise is being a homer about it. Like you could watch the film and you could see it for yourself. And he got better. I hope that's the case with Evan Neal. But I hate to see Tyler Smith out there on the other side of the ball somehow playing a pitching a perfect game against what's supposed to be two good rushers coming back for us, Ojalari and Thibodeau. And yet Evan Neal, like at the game, Nick, I you know, it wasn't easy for me to see what you just said, which is interesting to me that it was a total scheme change by Kafka to try to help Evan Neal. I thought once Demarcus Lawrence went out, it seemed like things just got so much better for Evan Neal. And so part of why, you know, it could have been even worse for Evan Neal. Was And we saw, and I know one of the plays, Bellinger missed a chip, which I'm sure you're going to bring up and you should because people were texting me about it. Okay. Kudos to, you know, take a little heat off Neil for that, whatever. But the fact of the matter is Lawrence still went out in this game. They still weren't able to protect even after that lucky injury. It
2: wasn't just Neil though. Like, they right. were keeping Saquon Barkley. It was it was the entire line. Like, Evan Neal definitely did not have a great game. And Andrew Thomas, I'm interested to see exactly what happened with him because there wasn't any plays that really stick out to me where he was getting beat really badly. But it was just the fact that Kafka had to allocate so many ass- assets to protect the offensive line, which removes receiving weapons and then puts Daniel Jones in a position where he has to keep his eyes downfield, still getting pressured even though that you have all those guys in protection and he has less dudes to look at with more guys dropping into coverage. It puts Daniel Jones into a really crazy spot, a really difficult spot. And I felt like Jones was really great with his legs. I feel like that throw to open one of the last drives, the second to last drive to Richie James was one of the best throws I've seen from Daniel
1: Jones in his career. Maybe what his did that career, look like yeah. live? Oh, I was just going to say that throw to Richie James live looked Unreal because he's getting pressure. It's right in his face. There's no window at all. He throws that sideline ball through a tight window. I mean, that throw was big time on a big important drive. Now, that was the drive they bogged down at second and six. Correct?
2: Or was That's that the, the drive,
1: drive. No, that was no, that was the field goal drive. The drive before yeah. where they bogged down at second and six. And I want to get to a lot of Jones because we have uh, there's a lot to say when when I when e- when we come out and make a statement like we made. In a game like this, where he only throws for a buck eighty eight, and to me, it was clear cut the best game he's played since New Orleans last year. And show me glimpses that I'm like, damn, like maybe there is something there. It's so hard; consistency's just never there with him long term. But we'll see. Yeah. But that Richie James throw or the drive before that—that that was my one issue with Kafka. So it was the drive right after. So Saquon Barkley makes uh, runs that touchdown. Which, by the way, live looked phenomenal. The jump cuts he made there, uh, just the breaking away, watching Barkley break away in space like that—it was. It was cool to see because you it, it, it just haven't been to a game in a while. Um, and and just him having that angle against Diggs, it's like, yeah, he's, he's back. But the drive after that, they let the Cowboys go down, score a touchdown. Then the Giants get the ball back, and they move the ball to midfield. And this was a key drive in the game. They get into second and six here, Nick. All game, to me, the Giants had been finding success with Jones under center running a heavy dosage of play action. I thought Jones did great in these spots because once he hit his back foot, there was pretty much always pressure, and he did a good job of sliding around it, stepping up through it, running with the ball, or even sometimes stepping him and throwing. And that second and six, after they got a nice chunk play, and this was at the end of the third quarter, so they had time to think about it, they go to the gun there. I didn't love that decision to go to the gun there. They miss a throw there then again to a third and six, they miss again and they have to punt the ball. But I didn't love the decision to a not run Barkley again, because at that point he was your only chance to break big plays. Like when you have David Sills on the field, Richie James, Daniel Bellinger, and what Shepard, like you just have nothing. You have Jones running or you have Barkley receiving or running and again we'll talk about this too because i'm just i don't know if this is a schematic thing but they just couldn't get barkley going in the pass game at all i don't know if they didn't try it whatever they need him to chip they need him to block whatever it is but that was a thing but i just didn't love the idea to go into the gun there i would have loved him to be under center to be quite honest me and matt wanted him, my brother wanted him to run there. second and six is a good rundown especially when you're a run-based team and you Every time you give the ball to Saquon, there's a chance he can do something with it. There's a, there's not really that chance in the passing game. Like there's a chance Daniel Jones could do what he did tonight, which was play magnific- magnificently against the pass rush, run for some first downs, throw some ten yard type passes. But Barkley could break a touchdown. So I just that was the one gripe I had with uh, Kafka in this game.
2: Yeah, and that was a little play action pass, and it was also right after the Giants were gifted that unsportsmanlike conduct against sure. Wilson, which I get why it was called, but like if it was called yeah, against the Giants, I, I wouldn't. Ball, yeah. I wouldn't complain about it, but I'd be like, ah, it's just kind of dumb. A bad like, ref it.
1: crew. They tried to take too much into their own. This is the problem. It wasn't like we were screwed completely. Like, look, the offensive pass interference I thought was a BS call. I don't know. This rule keeps getting called on us. Who knows what it is? If it is, it isn't. I don't know the rule book. Maybe they're telling them to call this. But overall, like you said, Nick, like this was just such a flag hat. They kept trying to take things into their own. I hate when referee crews do this. Like, let them play. Of course. But the weird thing was, especially on the
2: Giants side, I felt like the Giants – Committed several penalties that weren't called. And then they would call the dumb ones, like the one against Darnay Holmes on Noah Brown in the end zone that should have easily been called he hugged him and then there was like a third and one or third and two for dallas where every giant defender held their their wide receiver and they didn't flag it and i was like that's where you do throw the flag but you're right Right. i felt like the the refs were atrocious for both sides it wasn't like the new york giants were specifically screwed but the fact that they did bog down that was one of the turning points man they were gifted 15 yards in great field position a four yard run by saquon barkley on first down and then a Incomplete pass high to Bellinger on the sideline. And then I think the next play was the third and six where Sterling Shepard had the drag route and and Daniel Jones just did not put it in a good location and Shepard ended up dropping it. I think that
1: was that play. Yep, exactly. And that was a great throw by Jones, too. So here's the reason why. Okay, here's the Daniel Jones take, at least from my point of view, up in that stadium. Pressured an insane amount. We said 24 times most in the season. I thought for the first time he really looked like he was keeping his eyes down the field, which was very important for me. He wasn't looking down at the pass rush. He ran decisively. He looked more fluid as ever as a runner. He made the insane throw to Richie James. He made the throw to Sterling Shepard, which was a really freaking good throw that should have been caught by Shepard along the sideline. He ripped a couple outs early on where I thought the velocity was great. He ripped an in breaker to Richie James. that I'm remembering now from either the first half or somewhere in that second or third quarter range, he was throwing the ball. Well, He was avoiding pressure well, and when he broke away, Nick, from the pass rush, I'm watching from my view up top. There is nothing open. Here's the problem right now with the Giants receiver core. When you have Kenny or David Stills, maybe a couple snaps with Kenny Galladay, you have Richie James out there, and whatever's left of Stilling Shepard, unfortunately, it looks like it's a serious knee injury, and that's going to be it. But he was not, in my opinion, the old version of Shep from an explosive standpoint at any point yet this season. Some teams, when a quarterback is making a play like that and avoiding an immediate pressure and looking down the field, keeping his eyes down the field, rolling right. And by the way, another reason I like Daniel Jones tonight, I thought he threw well off-platform, better than I've seen him in a while off-platform from a velocity standpoint and a ball placement standpoint. But some teams, when that's happening, they break open. Receivers make broken plays. This is the NFL. We see it week after week with some of the best passing teams. Play takes time quarterback has time he rolls out and someone breaks open like how long can these team how long can the coverage hold up it seemed like the coverage was holding up for an insane amount of time tonight for the Cowboys and I don't think that's a coverage thing kudos to them I think it's David Sills is out there no offense I think it's Richie James is out there like how did the state of this wide receiver room get this pathetic it's unbelievable I almost get to the point Nick where I just want to sign John Ross like I don't know where he is right now I just can't imagine you need some kind of speed, dude. You need speed to be running around on broken plays. Like these guys are not getting open. Like if you watch this game from the view that we watched and I'm sure you'll see this, Nick, once we do the all 22, there were not a lot of examples. Like you said, the one throw to Root shepherd, there were not a lot of examples of Daniel Jones missing open receivers that were running open routes. And I think, unfortunately, that is the state of the giants until we get Tony back and I don't know. We're like now forced to prioritize the hell out of this in the draft next year because you can't sign them in free agency. We learned that with Christian Kirk and that contract. Like the best you can do is get like a DJ Chark for a one year deal, at like 8.5 or whatever helm he made. And he sucks so far. Like, so they just have to go back to the draft where they need everything else. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, man, but these receivers are just not getting open.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Why is this new water called liquid death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst, and the recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried liquid death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic, nor am I thirsty anymore, because my former parched state was quenched by the tart, acidic taste of one of their flavors, severed lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another liquid death flavor, mango chainsaw, which combines real agave nectar with leather face to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit, go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, Bury it alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee. Or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com bigblue. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then oddstrader.com is the place for you. Oddstrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. Oddstrader offers handicapping, play by play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and bet tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity so if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code blue that's oddstrader.com slash Bluewire. wire Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets it's just nuts how much and we brought it up no need to beat a dead horse but it's just crazy the amount of money the giants are putting into this position and they have Darius Slayton still on the roster. Like if Darius Slayton doesn't find the field now after this Sterling Shepherd injury, what the hell is he doing occupying a roster spot?
1: Yeah,
2: I, I mean, this guy is talented. Darius Slayton has talent. And I don't know his full fit in Brian Dable's offense. I, I'm not 100% certain. But we know that he had a rapport with Daniel Jones at one point. Yes, he's been inefficient. But you mean to tell me that he can't offer a little bit more in terms of speed and how, and that will change the way defenses play you. Yeah. I have to imagine he has to earn some more snaps. Sure, maybe not as many as Richie James or David Sills who earn it in practice. I get that. But Darius Slayton offers something that those guys don't. And that is just explosive, can take the top off of the defense four, three, eight, whatever it is type of speed.
1: Yeah, you're 100% right. I don't c- currently understand why the Giants are not playing Darius Slayton. I guess it's an issue with, I don't know, drops early in camp, whatever it may be. But like you said, the Giants need someone who can create vertical separation on the outside. It's not just that he has the rapport with Jones. He's made plays at all three levels. Like I get it. He dropped some passes. So what? None of these receivers doing anything good right now, besides maybe Richie James, who's not really athletic explosive or fast but at least he catches everything that's kind of thrown his way in that layup role it's really an easy role i mean i forgot about robinson that's really good they really need wandel robinson back because i totally forgot about him for some reason just now nick and we haven't been talking about him a lot but he's like now a desperate piece they need they need to get tony robinson and like slayton on the field i think like i just no offense david sills now that i've seen it live for a game from that view not the guy for me, Nick, just not the guy. He just can't create any kind of like consistent separation. Um, in my opinion, and especially as that X role where you need to be creating over the top vertical separation, um, unless he's running Dude's the got double. stiff ankles, man. I feel like this, I feel really like this dude stiff, always man. falls. Like he fell yeah. on the Trayvon
2: Diggs interception. I feel like he fell on a route last week that almost ended up getting intercepted, or maybe it was week win against Tennessee guy, man. The guy needs to work out them ankles, bro.
1: He's just not a fluid athlete, really, in my opinion. He doesn't have that ankle flexion, probably. That's probably why he's David Sills. But, like, I don't know, man. I Again, I got to give credit to Daniel Jones in this one. This was the first time since that since that New Orleans game I felt like I'm seeing some special traits tonight. And, again, it's not like he threw crazy downfield or anything, so it's hard to go crazy over this performance. But I just don't know what – I don't know how you're supposed to generate a passing game with David Sills – Richie James and Sterling Shepard. I just don't know. I look around the NFL. Even the Texans don't have that. The Texans have Brandon Cooks running every route, right? Like he'd get open on broken plays. I can't think the bears like Darnell Mooney to me is offering more than any of those three right now, to be completely honest, because he has speed and can separate. They need speed in the worst way at the receiver position. I don't understand why Slayton doesn't play. I'm just I'm with you on that.
2: And also they like all those other teams have tight ends. Like we think about like weak receiving cores. And then, like, the Chiefs. Well, they have Pat Mahomes, obviously, but it's still, it's like, yeah, their receiving receiving is questionable, but they have Travis freaking Kelsey. Like, even the Bears. Cole Komet is an interesting tight end prospect. The Giants don't even have that. And I like Daniel Bellinger, but he's a rookie. We have to be patient with that. Sterling Shepard, due to the last two games, has 10 targets in each game. So 20 total targets have just wow. been vacated. That is Jones's security blanket. Now you're going to send Daniel Jones up against a pretty good Bears defense. We have no clue what this wide receiver core is going to look like or who Daniel Jones is going to trust when the bullets are flying. And if the if Kafka has to keep putting Saquon Barkley in for protection, geez, man. Like I, I just feel bad for Daniel Jones at that point because it's hard for him to, as Hank Stram would say, matriculate the football down the field successfully mm-hmm. when everyone's just dropping their coverage, allowing Daniel Jones to rush for three, four yards here and there, but there's no one who can actually press and get vertical and that's the story of the Giants offense at the moment
1: yeah it almost makes me feel when I watch a game like this from that view Nick like wide receiver I mean obviously I can't say this with the offensive line playing as bad as they did it just doesn't seem to me like you can win a Super Bowl with this receiver core and we'll see what happens here Nick but Um, Unfortunately, we're looking at another draft where they're going to need to figure that out. And let's let's talk a little bit about the offensive line right now, Nick, because from your vantage point, watching it from the broadcast on TV, how did it look to you? Because to me, it just looked like an epic disaster with the exception of Andrew Thomas. That's what it appeared like for me as well, the pressure
2: was was getting home early and often. Some seemed like Micah Parsons, who didn't have a sack, but like this is the kind of game that you look at and it's like Micah Parsons is having a huge impact. Maybe he didn't get any sacks, but he changed the entire way Mike Kafka wanted to call this game. He was winning inside. He was winning outside. There was a play where he legit mac trucked Lewinsky to the ground when he kind of slanted inside, and Glowinski was paying attention to I think like a two eye technique. Didn't even see Parsons coming, and he just took Lewinsky out. He was winning high side as well. DeMarcus Lawrence was an issue. Dorrance Armstrong was an issue. I don't even know how much Dan Quinn blitzed. I don't even know if that was a huge yeah. part of what they were it did doing. Look they like were. It. They were getting a lot of pressure with four, Dan. And that's an issue, especially when you have six man protections and you're still getting pressure with four. And I felt like Saquon did a pretty good job in pass protection, sticking his nose in there and, and taking that extra guy every now and again. But you you need to you need to help your young tackle when he's struggling. And Evan Neal, it seemed like he was struggling pretty bad. It seemed like he was a little bit uncomfortable. I think he took that false start penalty in the second half. So hopefully he's going to have better days. I'm sure he will. He's still a rookie, so there's no reason to jump off the ship right now. But it wasn't his best outing, and it happened on primetime telly.
1: Yeah, I'm not jumping ship on Evan Neal at all yet, but one thing I am a little bit more concerned on is Mark Lewinsky. He had a great week one, specifically in the run game, but I'll see on the tape this week, but his week two film to me was the worst of it. I thought he was the worst offensive lineman, but by, by far on the giants in week two in the past game, obviously only talking about that, but I thought it was worse than Evan Neal from what I saw. We'll see how it looks this week with him, but I'm hoping that's not a bust. I got to be honest with you, Nick, because I-
2: anchor seems to be his issue, right? Yeah. Absorbing power yes. is something that Glowinski seems to really struggle with. Specifically, going back to the Carolina game, Derek Brown. Look, he's a he's a talented young football player right now, but he's not somebody who is a game wrecker. He's not a Chris Jones or an Aaron Donald yet. And Glowinski is this savvy vet, and there were several times, and we broke it down throughout the Offensive All Twenty Two podcast a little bit. There were several times when Glowinski got bullied back into the pocket and surrendered one of the half man either was inside it was typically inside which is worse because then daniel jones's pocket just totally collapsed on top of him and it led to i think one of those sacks so that's something that we're gonna have to pay attention to because we got on lemieux in his rookie season for being similar to to that now i don't think Lewinsky is that much of a liability but we'll we'll see on the tape in carolina it was an issue and it seemed like it was a bit of a problem against dallas too
1: it's just weird to me on paper, Nick, because like you look at these two offensive lines on paper that were out there tonight, both offensive lines have one really good player, Andrew Thomas, Zach Martin, but the rest is pretty damn comparable. Like Evan Neal versus Tyler Smith. Giants should have an edge there. Evan Neal should be way further along. What else is there? They have Biotis, who we heard from this week from Jeff Kavanaugh, has been like a mediocre player for them. Not bad, not good. Fine. We should have that in Glowinski, right? They have a 40-year-old Jason Peters at left guard. That shouldn't be good. And they have Terrence Steele. That really shouldn't be good either. Like, it's just wild to me that that offensive line could look so much better than the Giants did in pass protection, when on paper, they look almost identical to me from a strengths and weaknesses standpoint.
2: Yeah, I think the fact that Dallas has offensive weapons, even though Cooper Rush is a quarterback, Cooper Rush looked fine. He looked looked fine in that offense, but you have C.D. Lamb that you can trust, which rush trusted several different times and you have tony pollard who anytime you get the football into that dude's hands, it's an issue and i honestly think leonard williams not being there even as a even as a pass rusher too it just changed the outlook of the giants ability to stop the run and by stopping the run, like how many times did Pollard or Zeke have like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine yard runs. And you're like, Holy crap, yeah. man. Like that, that can't happen because then they're going to move the chains. They're going to get a third and short or a second and short. They're going to pick up another first down. Now your defense is on the field. That wasn't happening in Tennessee. That wasn't happening against Carolina. Those are issues right there. You need Leonard Williams to be there and anchor down against 40 year old freaking Jason Peters. But right when they brought Peters in and they, and they took that fair Enough guy out, they ran weak side right to Peters. And I think Pollard busted off like a like a really long run. Like that was one of the first plays they ran once Peters entered the game.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's the situation they're in right now. The Giants didn't really have anyone to offer on the interior to kind of make Jason Peters pay on a snap where maybe he wasn't, you know, in the right spot or, you know, in position. There was just none of that. There was nothing from Aziz, nothing from Kayvon Thibodeau against these tackles super disappointed to me it was i don't know i mean i'll watch it on film but to me wildly disappointed and gave on tibido and disease ojalari tonight Wildly disappointed. ojalari had disappointed. one
2: very very nice play against tyler smith that drew, that drew the holding that was a yeah. really nice move i heard he, he got that
1: early in the game right
2: yeah other than that that's the only reps reps from the two of them that really pop out but the defense as a whole didn't really play all that well you had a dory jackson beat on the touchdown, I thought Adoria had some really nice plays. Other than that, he had one. It was either on a short pass where he came and he just stuck the receiver, and there was another one I think on that three and out that we referenced before, where he worked over the top of someone's release, came down and and played through the catch point to force an incomplete pass on CD Lamb. Play.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: Door Jackson. And yeah, you're, you're going to lose sometimes to a player like CD Lamb. It's not something I'm going to hold against him. Too, and it's too a great bad. ball too, like.
1: It was, it was a really
2: good ball. I know maybe a subtle push not nothing that i nothing yeah, that yeah, I feel that. like should be should have been called but you know I, like i'm I'm okay with little little pushes it, like I'm okay I'm with a little push
1: because i you're one of the bigger proponents I know, Nick of that offensive pass interference is not called nearly enough.
2: It's not. Especially now, if I'm, it's
1: Mike look, Evans. You hate the Mike <laughs> Evans offense
2: Because Mike Evans' career, and he's he's a yeah. phenomenal athlete, but his career is made off of OPI. If you watch <laughs> almost every time he, he exits a break, that arm is coming. That outside arm yeah. is coming almost every time. They and never so call it, it on the offense. It. No, they never call it on the no, offense. Unless it it's, it's the, the Giants
1: the and they're two weeks in a row getting pass interference offense.
2: I was an offensive coach too, but like, for whatever reason, I have such a strong love and affinity for the defense, especially <laughs> because they're such underdogs. The entire NFL is catered to the offense right now. So like anytime I see that OPI and the defenders pissed off, I'm just like, that shouldn't happen. I'm just not for it. Even though I love fantasy football, you know, yeah.
1: Yep. catch 22. So let's, let's talk about, um, by the way, just a random side note here that I thought was fun. I had a text after the game from like three or during the game toward the end from like three people um, that I was apparently on the Jumbotron at the Giants game tonight. Oh, that's so, so funny, man. Still trying to figure out what this was. So if you were at the game and you saw this, let me know. Reach out to me. What I've gathered from some people talking to me is that they put a tweet of mine on the Jumbotron. I think it was the one where I said Daniel Jones had a really great first half. I was just kind of just talking about, I'm trying to find it now. It was like me talking about Jones in the first half, which again, I really thought he had an amazing first half and a pretty damn, he was just great tonight. I whole thing's considered. Dan Schneier, Daniel Jones, Homer. <laughs> exactly. But apparently, <laughs> apparently like not only did they put my tweet up that said like Dan Schneier, NFL, whatever. It also had my pick. It had a picture of me and Maddie, me and my brother at our seat. So like they, how the hell did they, <laughs> this is the weird part to me. This is the creepy part to me. How are they able to, like, match the tweet up with where I was sitting? Like, some camera guy from the Giants, I guess, knew me. I guess that's what it is. Makes me feel good if that's the case. I don't know. But someone let me know what actually was put on that jumbo jumbotron because me and my brother were clearly not looking. And I think it came – the weird thing is it came at a time where, like, the Giants were down by 10, Nick. It was after the Cowboys, I guess, had, like, that touchdown, whatever, whatever it was to go up 10, the field goal. um, and, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure we were just not happy at that moment. So I don't know why they flashed to us. There's no shot. We were happy in that moment, but random side note back to the game, Nick. I want to ask you about this. When the Giants scored that touchdown to go up 13, six with Saquon Barkley. I felt at that point, the Giants had all the momentum. I felt really good about the game. I thought we were going to win the football game after that. And I thought the game would end like, 16 to 12 or 16 to nine, or even 13 to 12 or 13 to nine. At that point, the Cowboys really hadn't threatened the Giants, in my opinion, at least with a touchdown. They had the CD lamb drop, which I shouldn't just overlook, which, by the way, Cooper Rush played a great game. That was not a good throw by Cooper Rush. Some of these things you can see when you're just watching the game live, that ball hung in the air forever. I think it played a role in why CD Land dropped that pass. It was just such a floating ball. I don't know how he got that open. That's a bigger issue. So this goes to my next point. It didn't work out how I planned. It wasn't 13-6. Instead, Dallas picked up the football, drove a full field for a touchdown, then got the ball back on the next series, drove a full field for a touchdown. So it was not only one touchdown, which I didn't think they get. They ended up getting two. So what happened on the big breakdown on the first drive with the Giants defense? And why was Kellen Moore able to kind of beat Wink Martindale, it seems like, at least in the chess match tonight.
2: It's probably best to wait for the all 22 to to really opine there. But starting a drive with a 17-yard pass to C.D. Lamb definitely helped. Like, oh, crap, you know, like, now we're out here. I felt like Cooper Rush was a little bit more aggressive there. They mixed run and pass very well. They had that one like 30 yard gain to Pender shot, which was a really nice play. Mm. They showed it from like the end zone angle. And you see at the giants, I think might've been in like a cover three. So they basically took CD lamb and they run like a deep tight post that just cleared out the deep third and Pender shot from like the sniffer position, just basically runs a vertical wheel to that area. And the, the defender who's in the deep third was cleared out. And the flat defender never, which was Aziz Ojalary, never got outside to, to match Pender's shot. He instead, I think, would just had his eyes on rushing the passer. So that was a 30-yard gain there. The first play, like I said, was a 17-yard gain. So some explosive plays against the New York Giants really helped lead to that. But I think we'll probably have a more comprehensive opinion on what happened from a scheme standpoint once we watch the All-22 tomorrow.
1: It's fair. We'll obviously have to watch the, the tape and get back to you guys on everything like that. But it felt like to me, this was the first time I felt like, eh, you know, maybe it was just matchups for this Giants defense. Because I'll be honest with you, Nick. Baker Mayfield in week two was an absolute disaster in combination with Ben McAdoo. So I don't feel great about shutting him down as far as what it means long term for this defense without Leonard Williams. Now, week one, if we're going to be honest, I almost feel like the Titans outcoached themselves. If they didn't just stick to the run and try to grind Henry into boxes where he shouldn't be grinding into Ryan Tannehill was playing pretty damn well. He averaged a ton of pass yards per attempt there. He hit the giants with a ton of big plays and they just kind of didn't throw it enough. So I remain concerned going into this game right now with the personnel that they have on the field at linebacker, no Leonard Williams. Against this Bears team, not even in the past game, which I will be then concerned with in future weeks, in the run game. Like the Giants are obviously going to want to stop the run against the Bears, but they wanted to stop the run against Cooper Rush and the Cowboys too, and they weren't able to. So that's probably where my biggest concern lies, at least heading into what I consider, as long as, as far as if we want to make the playoffs this year, Nick, as a wild card, this is basically a must win game, in my opinion, against the Bears. It's followed it up with Packers and Ravens.
2: Definitely. I think Cooper Rush is much more comfortable in this offense than Justin Fields is in his yes. offense, but 100%. Fields from a physical standpoint has so much more capabilities, but I think they, that could play into the hands of the New York Giants, especially with a coordinator like Wink Martindale,
1: who which I agree with, in the, but I'm actually want to get your question, uh, your take on this, Nick. Okay. Isn't that kind of what happened tonight, though? Because like it seemed to me, at least from watching it from my angle. The Giants wanted to take away the run, and they just weren't able to.
2: Yeah, I think the loss of Leonard Williams is a big reason for yeah. that. So I think we need to hope that Leonard Williams is back. And we also need to hope that the coaching staff, who we all like and who we all trust, can figure out a way to maybe maximize Jihad Ward, figure out the the strengths of the Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojalary on early downs. And I'm kind of spitballing here because... I don't fully know what exactly happened with the run defense. It did seem like the second-level defenders were an issue with tackling. There were a couple runs where Tony Pollard was running through arm tackles and weak attempts by Tay Crowder and players like that, so we'll have to wait and see exactly why. But I'm hoping that this coaching staff can figure out a way to take advantage of Justin Fields, who has looked really bad so far this season. I have faith that they can, but again, you're right the objective tonight was to take away the run and force Cooper Rush to beat you. Cooper Rush beat them. Like, Cooper Rush mm-hmm. made the throws when he had to make the throws. There was one play that came to my mind. It was that fourth and four conversion. <laughs> I'll put conversion in, in in quotations because when they showed this, the on, on the TV, on ESPN, they showed the angle down the first down marker. It looked so much closer than I originally thought, but they probably still got it. Anyways, it seemed like on, the, on that play, they brought the blitz, and it's the blitz where they they bring the nickel who's tight on the number two receiver, who I believe was C.D. Lamb, and then they have Dane Belton who's playing the middle of the field. I think it might have been closed. It might have been middle of the field, open pre-snap look, and then right at the snap, he drops down and flies down, and if you're tracking on that blitz as a quarterback, you can throw hot, and it's going to be a completion for about four to five yards every single right. time. Baker Mayfield did that to the Italian tight end, Ricci. He also did it to Ian Thomas. And then he missed it in the fourth quarter, leading to him, I think, getting flushed out of the pocket and throwing it away on one of those plays. So they obviously watched their film and Cooper Rush made them pay. Now you just have to figure figure out your scheme, tweak it a little bit, figure out your run defense, and then face, if it's David Montgomery or Khalil Herbert, whoever, because Chicago is a much, much worse team than Dallas. Dallas is a beatable team, but the Giants actually might be a better team than Chicago. And you can't say that about a lot of teams in the NFL right right now.
1: That's fair. That's very fair. Dallas did just beat the Bengals. Let's give them credit where it's due. And obviously, they're so much further along, at least in my mind, from watching tonight, from a personnel standpoint, versus the Giants. I mean, this Giants roster, we got two wins, thank you. In my opinion, the difference is the coaching. If Joe Judge was still the coach here, we'd be 0-3, and I have no doubt in my mind we'd be 0-3. It's not even close. This is the true. worst roster, from in my opinion, from a personnel standpoint that they've had in a long time, when you consider the injuries too, obviously. But they have Saquon back, which is a big difference maker. They do, but then they definitely have Saquon. That's definitely a help for them. They have finally have a playmaker who's healthy and looking great, but I mean – this is the worst linebacker unit I can remember. This is a bad, really bad corner two situation. They have injuries on the D line, which makes that not amazing right now with just extra so Lawrence in there.
2: The Giants at the end of last season had a much worse situation than the Giants. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah, true. From a personnel season, standpoint, because of injuries.
1: Yeah, because of injuries. um, Yeah, because of injuries, it definitely was worse. But right now, they're, they're dealing with a lot of personnel issues that we're going to have to coach our way to wins is basically what this is. Like, we have coaching edge. A lot of the time. Tonight, it wasn't as pronounced because Kellen Moore is a really good offensive play caller. He did a great job against Wing. But hell, I thought Kafka did an unbelievable job when you consider he had a horrific offensive line tonight in Pass Pro and he had no receivers who can separate. And we still generated, what, 79 yards rushing with Jones, almost 200 passing, and what, 80 with Barkley on the ground or a little more than that, maybe? So, you know, 150, almost, almost 250, 300 yards of offense in this situation is pretty good. And we brought this up too on previous podcasts, but the thing I think we like most
2: about Mike Kafka right now, it's not just the play calling, which has been really good. It, it, it's not just situational football. It just seems like it's such a, a an offense that is so much more adjustable and yeah. adaptable than the previous one which was rigid right now like if jason garrett's offense didn't work it just didn't work right now it's like okay they're taking away our rushing attack well let's move the pocket a little bit try to attack in the flat oh they're running cover three let's try some hitch seams let's try to attack the flat oh man coverage let's create a lot of traffic and try to free some guys up you know and oh well they're not keeping a quarterback spy on daniel jones well daniel you're pretty fast why don't you use your legs there's so many little adjustments and adaptations to his offense that he makes in game the chess match that we talk about between coordinators it's excellently executed by Mike Kafka through three games. They didn't they didn't win this game. It's gonna happen. Sometimes you're gonna lose, but still I remain very optimistic about Mike Kafka as an offensive coordinator.
1: Yeah, this was just another good game by him. I, have, I had one grape, which I brought up earlier, but that's not nearly enough. I thought Jones ran with a lot more confidence today. Not then recently. He ran with confidence again in week two. But in week one, he was a little off from a confidence standpoint as a runner. Thought he got that back tonight, which was really good to see. We're going to need that because, unfortunately, this is kind of the situation, at least until they can get Robinson back healthy, Wondell Robinson, and then maybe, hopefully, Kadarius Toney. Everybody. But, but. Go and pick up Wando Robinson in your fantasy leagues oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: because that dude is going to the, the offense, the passing attack, especially if Saquon Barkley has to stay in and pass protect a lot. If this offensive line continues to suck, the offense is going to run through Wando Robinson. His, his role is the Richie James role on steroids because the yep. role was specifically designed for him. That's
1: why they spent a top 50 pick on this guy. Right. It was literally a thing. yeah, you're, you're 100% right, Nick. And he'll get, like, random backfield snaps and quick hits out of there. He's going to get a lot of touches once. But they're going to need, like, this is kind of what the situation is for the rest of the season without a true, if Galladay is as washed as he, it seems like he is, right? And David Sills, to me, again, not impressed seeing him live, to be completely honest. I didn't really focus on him, I'll be honest. There's so much things going around. I should. I wish I could have, like, watched every snap of his on film in week two to really see how he looked there. But as far as what I saw tonight when I was focusing in, because what I tried to do in this game, Nick, was I tried to keep my eyes down the field when the Giants are on offense. That is a tough thing to do as a fan. You typically want to follow the ball and follow the quarterback after the snap. But What I wanted to do is follow the receivers and see the separation that Jones and try to get an idea of what Jones was seeing basically. Um, And it just, there was no separation. and The moral story is there just really was so little separation. They just badly need some kind of dude like Devontae Smith, AJ Brown, dude at receiver. They need it bad. Um, i having Jalen Waddle,
2: Waddle on the on the roster right yeah, now,
1: man. And we wanted Waddle. You loved Waddle, and Waddle's a yeah. freak. He's the best receiver in that class. Even though maybe it's Smith looks so good in week. Two.
2: I think I think Jamar, Jamar's still the best. Oh,
1: Jamar's but... still the best. I forgot. They're all filthy. Those three Giants yeah, clearly they're... wanted. One of those three, they did get Evan Neal out of the trade back. Me and Nick would have rather, I mean, look, I think Rashad Bateman would have been way better than Kadarius Tony at the time, whatever. Can't cry over spilled milk. We got to get Tony on the field, but like until these guys are on the field, if they're even making the impact, we're hoping they can make Nick. This is going to have to be a smoke and mirrors offense. Like Daniel Jones rushing for 79. That's a big deal because we need offense any way we can get it. We're not generating much offense through the air in a traditional fashion. So there needs to be like trick plays and like, you know, not trick plays, but like Daniel Jones takes advantage of the, how the Cowboys are playing him and he runs a bunch or like, you know, some of those play action rollouts where they hit, like you said, move the pocket, hit Bellinger, right. Move the pocket, hit whatever. Um, but right now I just, with these receiver core, I don't know. It just, we'll see what happens the rest of the way, but they have a real big per, This is personnel issue right now is, is unfortunately big for the Giants.
2: It's unfortunately big. It's it's tough for Daniel Jones or or a lot of it quarterbacks, is. to be frank, to to overcome. Yeah. And the Daniel Bellinger, that the way the tight ends were used early in the game, I felt like it was great. I mean, if if the Giants' offensive line could have held up no. at least adequately, I think the Giants are able to move the football relatively well down the field because the way they were finding Saquon Barkley on that first drive. The way they were matching him up against Anthony Barr, that's a pure mismatch in the favor of the New York Giants. The way Daniel Bellinger on those play-action rollouts, the way he would block, chip, release into the middle of the field, no one was paying attention to him. They connected, I think, two or three times early on with that play. It's just the the Giants' offensive line couldn't hold up against the four-pass rusher. They needed help. That was one of the biggest difference makers in the game to me, was the fact that Kafka had to honor the pressure from Dan Quinn's defense.
1: You nailed it. That is the biggest factor, I think, especially because there was only one player remember, Nick, but there was one play where Jones was gifted a pretty nice pocket and he did a really good job, in my opinion, at least, of settling in and making a throw. And I think it was the deep middle at that time. I don't know if it was a completion. I don't think it was um, this one that I'm remembering. It's tough to remember back now, but it just it just stands out to me because of what you said. And man, it's not just a receiver issue right now it is also an offensive line issue and I thought it was going to be better than it was and it, than it it is so far on this offensive line. And I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's hard to really like blame it on anything on Jones when it looks like it did tonight.
2: I agree. I agree. I I feel like Daniel Jones couldn't have really done much more. And it's weird too, right? Because I feel like we call Daniel Jones as we see him and he threw a, a game ceiling interception and typically people jump all over the quarterbacks but what is the guy going to do David Seals falls out of his break yeah. like you fall out of his break and then Sterling Shepard on that same play running down the field has that terrible injury and I, I don't know if it's the turf i have no idea but but you know MetLife Stadium has this crazy crazy uh theory about its turf causing injuries and it just sucks right. the fact that this dude gets injured on, on the turf like that i have no idea if that's
1: the reason but still it's uh, unfortunate, man, just a really unfortunate series of events. Yeah, I mean, look, if Jones plays like he does today, if Jones played like he did tonight, Nick, for the rest of the season, let's say he did that every single game this point on. And again, it was still only 180 through the air. I would be more than willing to resign him, not. Again, not to some crazy stupid long-term deal, but for the one year deal, or like we said, that Derek Carr deal where you can get out of it in one year. Or I, I don't love the idea of the franchise tag because I just don't think he's worth 35 million against the cap. I'd almost just rather see like a, a Taylor or something versus that costs nine mil against the cap and spend that money elsewhere or save it. But having said that, Taylor doesn't have any long-term upside. Tonight, Daniel Jones reminded me of his long-term upside because he played Really well, and he flashed things like you said. The throw to Richie James on the sideline that is a big time throw through a tight window with pressure. His ability to maneuver the pocket tonight was great, his ability to keep his eyes downfield was great. Is it his, you know, what he offers as a runner was great. And so even those small little things that I talked about earlier that I tweeted about Nick, I like the velocity that he threw that he showed on the two outs early in the game. They're simple little six or seven yard throws, but they're outside shoulder on outs that I don't know. I don't always see quarterbacks cut it like that to the outside. And so I still think like, that's not something I think Taylor would come in and be able to do. I don't know. It's tough to say. I haven't really watched too much of him in his career to know, but, I don't know, man. It's just, it's going to be tough all year now because he's never going to get good receivers at this point. And who knows if this offensive line is going to get better. I mean, we've watched Sunday night football, right? You saw Jimmy Garoppolo out
2: there. Jimmy Garoppolo looks very, very bad comparatively to Daniel Jones in terms of ball placement. Like, if, if Jimmy right. Garoppolo, if Daniel Jones was making some of the throws that Jimmy Garoppolo made, And missed in terms of ball placement, we would have wrecked him from clean pockets, bro. So like like little things like that. It's like, you know, Jones played pretty well in in a loss where the offense couldn't really do anything, and he didn't throw a touchdown pass. And here we are, kind of being pretty positive about this guy. But I gotta ask you too, Dan, and we brought him up a little bit before, like Kenny Galladay, dude. Like how. Talk about not coming up big when your number is called. Yeah. Not once, but twice. On a fourth down and on a third and 14, where you probably would have picked up the first down after he made that move. It was a weird situation where Daniel Jones puts two balls right where they need to be, and they're both dropped, man.
1: Yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this Kenny Galladay thing, man, because they desperately need a player like what Galladay was in 2019 on this roster right now and he's just not that guy anymore i guess it's it's a confidence issue with galladay coming back from all these injuries we know he had another procedure done in the off season that was kind of like you know pushed under the rug hush hushed nobody talked about it i don't know but like you said he made he had opportunities tonight to make plays and i was the one saying earlier in the game nick like at halftime like I'm kind of done with David Sills, to be honest. <laughs> that's what I was telling Maddie, I'm like, look, all those Sills snaps, I'd rather him just go to Galladay because I just don't see Sills creating enough separation. And like you said, it's the ankle flexion. He's just not a fluid. He's not an NFL starting receiver, if we're going to be completely honest about the situation. But maybe Kenny Galladay isn't anymore, too. And that's something we're going to find out soon, Nick, because I think we're getting very, very close to the point where the Giants literally trade him away for nothing, basically, for like a seventh conditional and eat the cap too. So they take on the, they keep the contract because look, if he's just like bench and sitting on your bench, getting four to ten, and he got more snaps tonight, but if he's getting like 10 snaps a game or not playing well in the snaps he has, there's just no point to even having him on the roster. Can you even afford to do that right now? At the losing Sterling
2: shepherd. Someone's yeah. getting called up. You Darius Slayton's active and he's not even seeing the freaking field right now, Dan, like, are the like, I don't even know You're about so Alex I
1: just, by the thing. I just it,
2: it, it's very weird. Is Alex Bachman on somebody else's practice it's squad not, right now? I don't
1: know, potentially. I, I, thought, I, he I, got I thought he got nabbed. Yeah, Alec, I'm, I'm gonna see. We kind of need use Bachman, honestly. Alex Bachman,
2: but he's Google says that Alex Bachman right now is a free agent, and All I right, thought he go. got, I thought Bring he got. <laughs> Bring back the Bach. I thought he got signed to the Giants let's, practice. Let's, let's
1: put David Sills and Bachman and Richie James out there for, for a few snaps and 11 personnel. Jeez. It is such an absolute joke
2: that before this podcast, Dan and I said, Oh, man, it's such a freaking shame that Con Johnson got injured. Like, you spent $72 freaking dollars on Kenny Galladay, a first round pick on Kadarius Toney, a second on Wandel Robinson, and we're sitting here. Talking about Colin freaking Johnson's injury and I loved Colin Johnson. I thought he played phenomenally, Dan. But that's the situation and the reality of this New York Giants wide receiver
1: room. That was almost like a um, you know you reminded me of there. I don't know sure. if you're doing it on purpose. Uh what's Sebastian Matt? Uh what's his name? <laughs> the Italian dude.
2: Oh uh, yeah. I guess it did that did kind of come off like the Sebastian. I've not watching Sebastian.
1: Beginning. Yeah. In the beginning, you had a little bit of the the Kenny Galate, and then the you Kenny did the hand Galladay. thing. I did. <laughs> it. Was good. You did a little hand thing. It was good, though. I liked it. I mean, I don't think you did it on purpose, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. And yeah, I mean, look, this is the status situation for the wide receiver core right now. They tried. I mean, Gettleman went nuts with it, right? Like he signed Kenny Galladay. That was the first thing. And then he, I I stand by this dude. Everyone's like, everyone will have to view this thing. This Evan Neal trade like they could have had Parsons or they could have had Slater. Eh, that's not what I heard. What I heard was Parsons wasn't on their draft board. What I heard was they weren't going offensive lineman no matter what because they wanted to let Parrot have a shot to win that right tackle job, and they weren't going to take a guard any earlier at that point. What I heard was they were going playmaker no matter what, pretty much. They wanted to get two big playmakers for Jones that offseason. They signed Galladay to the big deal, bidding against themselves, and then they take one in the first round. So I honestly stand by this. I'll take this to my grave until I'm told otherwise, Nick. I'm almost 100% sure that if they... Not 100. You can never be 100. I'm very confident that if they had stayed and not traded back, they would have taken Kadarius Toney over Micah Parsons and Rashawn Slater. It's my personal opinion. No one can push me off of this. And so I'm never going to view that trade like they could add Parsons. I've heard they like they weren't going to take Parsons. They weren't going to take Slater. So kind of is what it is there. I think it was if Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, and Jamar Chase
2: wasn't going to be there. If those two weren't there we're trading back. I think that was probably the but philosophy because partner, I'm saying, yeah, I mean, Justin Fields being around made it much yeah, it easier helped. to, to, to find a trade. Dude, that draft was ridiculous too. If you think of, like Patrick Sartan was in that draft and no, we, we covered so, that we loved
1: a lot of these guys. We, we just missed all the blue chippers basically, but we didn't cause we still had Parsons and Slater. So we didn't actually they were right miss there. The blue they were right there and we both had them top of our draft board. So it's like, then again, I like I like getting the pick. I like trading back in general. But then just take Bateman. Don't overthink this thing. Or a lot, Eli Moore. Like, don't try to get your guy. There's Tony. Where you have no... Like, how did they not vet this dude? They just went through the DeAndre Baker situation years ago in the same regime. And they're taking some dude who was injured for most of his career at Florida. A gadget player until his final year. And, like, did he show you anything? I guess in the conversation you have with him at Combine that, like, led you to believe that he can pick up a playbook fast that he can be a heady receiver like because we haven't seen any of that yet and we certainly haven't seen anything to take us off the injury trail because he missed another game tonight when they desperately needed him and so to me that disappointment is surrounding the the actual pick of Tony I'm fine trading back there and having Eli Moore or Bateman on the roster and Neil it could end up being shitty if Michael Parsons is a Hall of Famer and Slater who's now injured for the year which sucks for them it turns into like an all pro left tackle or offensive tackle, whatever. Cause you know, who knows Neil might bust. It's still possible. I don't think either of us think that's happening, but it's obviously a possibility. You never know in the NFL, but Slater and Parsons are already there. But having said that it's, to me, it's more just what they did with the pick after trading back.
2: They're not only there, Dan, they're far past where you expect them to be like Micah Parsons and Rashawn Slater. (laughs) Both of those players had top 5% type of rookie seasons. Like that's
1: how good they were for their respective teams. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, and I was, yeah, I was being loose with it. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. We talk about this a lot, Nick. It's almost like, yeah, I like the idea of trading town, but in a class where they're like, we both had, like you can listen to our podcast from two April. From 14 months ago, and I think we even put these big boards on Twitter at some point. So, like me and Nick, were clear. We wanted Slater there or Parsons. We thought they were the best. We wanted I, me and him wanted Slater over basically anyone, um, with the exception of Waddle. I think it was and Devontae Smith. We were okay going that direction if they really wanted to. we were big Chase on Slater. My number,
2: Chase was my number one guy. Sure, we knew uh, we had no I mean,
1: the yeah. guys we had chances at it. Gotcha, yeah. Just the guys we were chances at. We said maybe if one of those three receivers, otherwise we want Slater or Parsons. Sometimes you just got to take the blue chip. God, like if you have a chance at a blue chip, just take a blue chip and it might not be worth trading out. I don't know. It's just something to think about moving forward. But
2: you want to know the weird yeah. thing, though? There was a rumor, and I don't know how true it was, Dan, that Dave Gettleman was in love with Jermaine Davis, the, yeah. the linebacker who was drafted by Washington that year. So if you're in love with Jamin Davis, that means you might not go skill position player there. That means you took Micah Parsons off your board because he had some hazing incident back at Penn state. Yeah. Like, uh, and like, look,
1: look at those two careers right now. now they're still young. There is Tony though. Like I just don't understand the logic behind it. Like there yeah. is Tony is not like this dude had an incident where he had a gun in his car and he was pulled over by the cop or whatever. It's like, what yeah. are we talking about here? We're, we're worrying about this dude with the hazing incident. We're not worrying about this dude with a gun incident. And then the one dude has been injured the whole time. The other is not. The one dude is like, I'm not going to say, I don't want to say maybe low IQ as a receiver. We don't know. So far, it seems that way. This is not a knock on the dude. Uh, it is what it is, but like it is a knock. I, I can't say it's not a knock when it's generally, gen- genuinely. I just knocked him, but like, it's an, it's an observation. It's an observation. Like, it's an observation that
2: every time he's been on the field, he's run a drag route or a very <laughs> simplistic type of route. And you could say, well, maybe it's because he doesn't have the rapport because he missed a lot of time due to injury and training all that could be true as well. But we know the Brian Dable offense is very difficult to learn and master. And that's why you had guys like Sterling Shepard. You had players like Wanda Robinson, Richie James, David Sills, and players like that who are out there running a lot of routes, not like Kadarius Tony, because it's possible or at least plausible that... Maybe he doesn't know exactly where he has to be, and that also kind of points to the fact that Sterling Shepard alluded to that on a podcast this week, and Brian Dable kind of substantiated that throughout the week, that some players are not where they need to be, as Carl Banks and Bob Papa said on their podcast.
1: Yeah, and you're right, but you know who's not having mental issues or IQ issues right now? Michael Parsons. They haven't playing a new position than he was playing in college, and I know he came in as a recruit as a as an edge guy. But like, what, what are we doing here? We're not this guy with the amazing incident off the board. But Kadarius Tony is certainly not off your board. You're taking him around ahead of where anyone else was going to take him, besides Urban Meyer, who's out of the NFL already. So I will you, say this though about that? Kadarius.
2: No, you're right, but I think a right Kadarius Tony, a dialed in Kadarius Tony. Yes he does have playmaking ability that I feel like maybe 1% of the NFL has in terms of his stop-start change of direction. Now, that doesn't make him a complete wide receiver. It does not. But it does give you an edge in a lot of areas. And I think that is something that I hope the Giants can leverage and I hope Kadarius Tony can actualize because the Giants desperately need him right now. And he's not even like a take the top off of the defense type of guy. He can do that, but he's a, Hey, hit me on a five yard in route and I will cause six missed tackles and make the defense look silly type of dude.
1: Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong that you're right, Nick. Like we get me and you get what Gettleman saw. They're like, Holy crap. We might be able to take a steal here at 20. We have a dude who has like top five, top 10 talent, but it's not all about the talent. It's about availability. It's about your IQ as a receiver. Are you really going to, do you really love the game of football? Are you going to put all the time you need to put into this to, to be the best possible player you can be? Do you have that dog in you? Um, and so far the availability has been the biggest issue with Tony more. So even to me than the IQ stuff and like getting on, learning the playbook because everyone's struggling to learn this playbook. Apparently, <laughs> I mean, we, but what happened on the OPI tonight? It's probably another example of, of was that route run It I mean, I don't know. I'd have to rewatch that play. So I don't want to speak on that, but
2: the way the, the guy, yeah. whoever the officiating crew with Monday Night Football is, whoever that guy is, and the way just I feel like the NFL rule is, according to him, if you're running a route and that happens, it's incidental contact.
1: Yeah, was. Well, it wasn't really like the giant. I mean, they took three points off the board there, but obviously they took gave the Giants points when they didn't call the pass interference in the end zone on homes that Nick was referencing. And that would have been probably a touchdown. So is what it is from that standpoint. But yeah. It's tough. We we didn't, you know, we didn't expect the Giants to go 17-0, but this was definitely a winnable game for them. I felt like once they went up 13-6, they were going to win this game. Ultimately, they did not. We'll go back to the drawing board. We'll watch the tape. It's a big, big game coming up this week against the Bears. It's, in my mind, a must-win game if we're still talking and thinking playoffs because I don't really expect the Giants to have much of a chance against the Packers or Ravens, if I'm going to be completely honest. It's okay to admit that. They have personnel issues right now, the Giants, and these good quarterbacks are gonna make this wink defense pay, in my opinion. They're gonna make the second level defenders pay, and they're gonna make the corner the everything outside of um everything outside of maybe Odori Jackson pay. So we'll see what happens there. But I consider this a must win game. Anything else on this game before we wrap up, Nick? Excited to watch the all twenty two, my friend. Yep. Um, All right. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast. Should be another busy week for us here. We're a day behind now on the film because we had the Monday night game. But we're going to get in a preview of the Bears. Um, Some other stuff going this week for sure as well. Thanks again for tuning in. I said that. Tell it's been a long day for me, Nick. Everyone have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.